Steve Deal is here um, to minister to us today. That was one of the more challenging ones on this side, just so you know. But they were just in a special place, and, and I appreciate them. So, Steve, if you'll come up here. Um, uh, in anticipation of our forgiveness seminar, I said before, it's, it's great to have you. You were here once before with us, and we delighted in that, and that helped us see that, that we as a people of God want to be part to live in a culture of forgiveness. Amen. And you're going to help guide us in that process um, today in anticipation of that Friday night and Saturday, um, and so we are looking forward to that as the body of Christ. Thank you. So let me just pray for you as, we're, as we begin. Father in heaven, I pray for Steve as he brings the word of God to us today, that uh, it would be alive and living, and Lord, that it would coach and guide us um, towards spending the weekend together uh, in November, and also, Lord, that our hearts would be renewed and transformed um, as, you, as you call us forward into living a kingdom life. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Steve. Thank you, brother. Okay, is this on? Can you hear me okay? Good morning. It is really good to be here with you again. I was here about a year ago. Um, and I pastored the same church for 20 years. I used to tell my congregation, I want you to go out at least twice a year to another church, not like our church. I want you to, to fellowship with other Christians on a Sunday morning and see what they do. I, I, I figured it was a win-win situation because if they went to a church that was doing something well and loved the Lord, they'd be inspired and they might bring something back to our church that was good that we could uh, incorporate. And if they went to a church that wasn't very good, they'd be so happy to come back to Walnut Creek Friends Church. So the problem with that was I didn't get to do it because as pastor, I was committed to being in my church and now doing forgiveness ministries. I have this wonderful privilege of getting to travel and meet God's people in different countries, different states, different areas of the Bay Area, different denomination, different churches, and it is really exciting. And I don't know if, if this has been your home church all your life or if you've had much experience with Christians and other denominations, but, you know, God's people, people who love Jesus, it is so good to be with them. I've been in countries where I can't even speak the language, maybe some of you have, but they love Jesus and you can tell there's a connection. Have you ever felt that? And I can feel that connection here. And I'm very, very glad to be back here again and to share with you. And uh, Tim, congratulations. And to your wife, good job here. And um, um, may God's blessings be upon you as you move on to your next assignment. I am looking forward to coming back in a couple weeks. What is it? November 11th and 12th, Friday night and all day Saturday. We'll be here unwrapping the gift of forgiveness as I said, I uh, pastored the same church for 20 years, and about five years ago, um, I retired or resigned from that position to do forgiveness ministries full-time because I became convinced as a pastor that um, God's people, all of us, needed to develop a lifestyle of biblical forgiveness, I became convinced of that because I went into the pastoral ministry thinking that if I just knew the Bible well enough 
and if I preached the Bible well enough, everybody's problems would be solved. I see Tim laughing here. You, you've discovered this. Uh, you knew this way of thinking too. As a matter of fact, I think it's very common in the American church to think this way. Matter of fact, it's common in what we'd call the Western part of the world where we're so intellectually minded. We tend to think Christianity is all about how much we know in our heads and how much we learn and how better, how well we can teach. And so we have seminaries and you go to classes and you learn all this Bible information and then you become a pastor and then you kind of, you kind of give all this information to people and you think all their problems are going to go away. Can you relate to that? I mean, that's how we think in the West. Have you noticed it's not working? I've been a Christian 35 years. I've been in ministry for 37. Sometimes that happens. And, um, but it took about the first five years of being senior pastor where I was preaching every Sunday that I, I, had to, uh, I asked, started asking myself a couple questions. Either, either I didn't know the Bible very well or I didn't preach very well or maybe there was something more than preaching that people needed in order to grow into the fullness of God's plan for our life. Can I say that again? Either I didn't know the Bible very well. Now, I don't, I'm not boasting, but I want to tell you, even back then in my life, I was memorizing whole books of the Bible. So I knew a lot of the Bible, and I continue to be devoted to meditating, praying over, reading, listening to, studying, memorizing Scripture. Or I wasn't a very good preacher. Now, that's a very real probability, and, and you'll have to be the judge of that. Or, or maybe, maybe it's not just information that God's people needs. As, as important as the truth is, maybe... Maybe what God needs to and wants to do in our lives requires more than even the best teacher or teachers, the best teaching. And that's what I became more and more convinced of as I pastored because I saw even in my own life as a Bible teacher, as a uh, student of the Bible, as someone who memorized Scripture, I found that there were huge holes in my life, in my character, in my emotions that were hindering my Christ-likeness, and it really bothered me. And it was affecting my relationship with my wife. It was affecting my relationship with my parents, with my brothers and sisters. Not that we had bad relationships, but that there were just... There were just things missing. I would see things in the Bible about joy and love and fullness and intimacy and closeness. And, and, and uh, yeah, I had some of it, but not as much as I wanted and not as much as we need. And so I kept pouring myself into more and more scripture for a while till I realized, well, this is good. It has changed my life. I have gone way down the road with Christ, but... What is missing? And, and, and I actually came to a relational crisis with my wife. Now, we've been married 31 years, really happily married for 30. We have six kids. What I saw up here, I've been through that a lot. That's just home life. And um, we have a great marriage. But after about 15 years, I find, found myself becoming increasingly irritated by Becky. You know what I mean? I heard, you don't have to say it out loud. <laughs> Increasingly irritated. 
how could I tell I was increasingly irritated? Well, she would do things or say things or not do things or not say things. I just find some uh, kind of that little irritation, that grunt, that grimace in your face. That, Gee, I wish it were different. And, and for about two years, I noticed that this irritation was growing. Now, we've been married 15 years. We're in ministry together. We have six kids now, and, and we're, we're good friends. But I found myself having to control. I'd think of saying something, and I'd quickly shut it down because oh, that's not going to fly. That's not going to work well. And, um, but over two years, they would happen, those thoughts would be, more frequent, and longer in duration. Actually, I started having these imaginary conversations with Becky. Have you ever had imaginary conversation with someone you're angry with? And you talk to them, the thing you wish you could say, and then you put in their mouth what you think they're going to say, and it's usually so you can say more, and you get into this imaginary kind of fantasy argument, and I see a lot of heads nodding, so I'm not the only strange person. Good. And... And, and that is really a disaster to a relationship because then you start to believe you actually said those things and worse, you start to believe your spouse said that back to you but they didn't, it's just what you're imagining and you start to relate to your spouse in this artificial fake world. That's not a healthy relationship. And so I was starting as a pastor and as a father and as a husband after 15 years of being married to have some real serious um, challenges in my emotional and my relational life with my Becky it was with with my wife Becky and it was starting to scare me and and I knew that forgiveness had something to do with solving this problem because if I felt that my wife was hurting me um, and if in fact that pain was coming from real sin that I needed to forgive Becky and if I were sinning then I uh, I'd probably have to go and ask her to forgive me. Even if I didn't mean it, I'd at least have to go through the motions. I didn't even want to do that. But I knew I had to forgive her. And so I started forgiving Becky as best I could with all of the Bible thinking that I had at the time and the books I had read at the time. And I claimed to forgive her and I prayed to forgive her and I... And I um, exercised self-control and I loved her in, in spite of the anger and, and the thing that really scared me is the anger did not go away. And there is in the book of Ephesians a verse that I had memorized and it says this, Be angry, but do not sin do not let the sun go down on your anger and do not give the devil an opportunity. And I had to come to the realization that I was going to bed angry every night for years. And not just at Becky, but at other people in my life. And that verse really started to grow and, and occupy more space in my thinking and time because here I was increasingly aware of a growing amount of anger and bitterness in my own heart and soul that was affecting all my relationships. And yet the Bible was saying, don't go to bed angry. Now, the Bible, I want to tell you, does not teach anger management. That is a worldly concept. 
It is a worldly concept that they have developed because, listen carefully, they have no other choice. Because in the world, there is not a real, valid, healthy way to actually get rid of anger. It's just anger management. But in the kingdom of God, in Christ-likeness, because of Jesus Christ, there is actually a way to get rid of anger once and for all. Well... Once and for all, for a particular event, if the person sins against you again, you're going to have to forgive them again and deal with it again. But my point is, the Bible doesn't talk about anger management because the Bible actually offers anger eradication, anger elimination, or even better said, anger replacement. Because God has a way for our anger to be replaced with his love, listen carefully, even for our enemies. Now I know that, that uh, statement there may even be disagreeable to many of us right now. I don't want to love my enemies. Do you know why you don't want to love your enemies? Because you're angry at them. If you're angry at someone it means you really can't love them because anger is this desire to see someone who hurt you get paid back for what they did. You hurt me, and I need to see you suffer. Now, when you're thinking that way towards someone, how in the world can you simultaneously think, and I want to see God bless you. I want to be a part of God's blessing in your life. Do you see how those are going in two different directions? You hurt me and I need to see you suffer. And I want to be a part of God's blessing in your life. Those are two thoughts going in two vastly different directions. Of course we can't love our enemies when we haven't forgiven them. We don't love our enemies, or we don't come to love our, we don't forgive our enemies because we love them. We discover that when we forgive our enemies, our anger is replaced with God's love, and lo and behold, we can love someone who actually has hurt us and maybe hurt us very deeply. And this is one of the primary reasons why Jesus came. I've actually changed the sermon, by the way, because of your children's sermon. You're talking about that you're wondering, when are you going to get into the how to become like Jesus? It is in there, but you're talking about the keys that we can give to someone else. And they are keys that God first offers to us and we have to receive. And if we receive that key deeply broadly in our lives, then we will simultaneously learn how to give that key to other. And the key is forgiveness. It is forgiveness. We call our seminar un Unwrapping the Gift of Forgiveness because forgiveness is this incredibly powerful gift that comes not from the world, not from psychology. It comes from God himself who 
thought up forgiveness, designed forgiveness, made forgiveness a real possibility through Jesus Christ at the cross and then through his resurrection. He practices forgiveness. He teaches forgiveness. He models forgiveness. He says, I really want you to receive the forgiveness that I've, I've made possible for you. And then he says, now I want you to go out and forgive each other just like I've forgiven you. In the same way that I've forgiven you, I want you to forgive each other. And you will find that as you do that, whether it's receiving God's forgiveness or forgiving other people, people, you will find that God is able to do something inside of you that the world cannot do, no matter what it says, that Satan has no intention of doing, that medical um, uh, skills cannot bring about, that medicine can't bring about, that economic systems can't bring about, that information cannot even bring about, even if it's Bible truth studies. I see heads nodding. Do you realize how many times, I don't know if you've noticed this, how many times a year in national press we hear about noted evangelical leaders falling to an affair or to embezzlement? We had a pastor. I live up in Concord. I assume the news got down here. There was a pastor out in Antioch, our neighboring town, who this year was caught embezzling money from his church. He was front-page news in the Contra Costa Times. Two weeks later, he was front-page news on the Contra Costa Times because he put a gun to his head and shot himself. He was a husband, and he was a father. He was a pastor. He was a Bible teacher. So I simply want to stand before you today and on one hand lift up God's word and say absolutely be dedicated to the Bible. Read it, study it, memorize it, preach it, believe it, walk it, live it, pray over it. However, don't let yourself think, because it's not biblical to think this way, that information alone is going to fix everything that's inside of you. Information is the solution if the problem is ignorance. When people don't know the truth, the solution is somebody teaching them the truth or them reading about the truth. If the problem is believing lies, misinformation, then again, the solution is truth. But if the problem is some kind of inner woundedness or brokenness, the solution is not go take a class or do a Bible study. The solution, God says, is to learn to practice forgiveness the same way he practices forgiveness. This is why Jesus taught this in Matthew 18. And you might be familiar. So these are the scriptures for today. And you know the story. I'm not going to read the whole story. But do you remember when the apostle Peter came to Jesus? He had heard Jesus talk about forgiveness a lot. As they, you remember, as, they tra as Jesus traveled around, do you know one of the reasons why Bible stories are different in different parts of the, of the gospel in particular? Why Jesus, it's recorded Jesus said it this way and then in a... In one of the other Gospels, it seems he said it different. You know why? Because he, he went from town to town to town and taught the same thing over and over and over and not always in exactly the same words. So Matthew might have decided to quote Jesus this way because he heard it and that's what stood out to him. And Mark decided to quote it different and Luke different and, and um, John different. That's part of the reason. Jesus was teaching. And so... 
All the disciples were hearing Jesus talk and teach about forgiveness over and over again. And, and one day as they're walking down the road, not in a class, Peter is having, he's, he's recognizing, he's having relational problems. He's having inner problems. He's angry at someone. And he says to Jesus, he comes up and says, Jesus, um, I've heard you talk a lot about forgiving the people who sin against us and hurt us. I, I've heard you say how important it is. I've heard you say, you've even taught us to pray, Father, forgive us in the same way that we forgive other people. And if we don't forgive other people, then God can't forgive us. That means we're going to suffer serious consequences when we don't forgive the people who sin against us. We're going to make the situation. I've heard all that. I think I understand all that. But, but I got a question for you, Lord. How many times do I have to forgive the person who sins against me? Now, you know what, you hear it more like this. Verse 21 of Matthew 18 says this. Then Peter came and said to Jesus, Lord, how often shall I my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? You know, and, and that's, that's legitimate. That's what he said. But we got to sometimes flush out as real people. This is Peter. He's a real person. This is not a classroom setting. This was not a theological question for Peter. He was having a problem with someone. What was the problem? Someone was sinning against him repeatedly. Now, who might that have been? Could have been his wife. Peter was a married man. Could have been another family member. I don't think that was the case, though. You know who I think it was? It's just my idea. I could be wrong. I think it was one of the other disciples. You know, those 12 that Jesus chose to follow him, they were not what we would call in sociology today a homogeneous group. That is, they weren't all the same. You, you had... Uh, educated men like Matthew, who was a tax collector, and you had fishermen like Peter, James, and John, and Andrew. You probably had some of those guys were a little more economically well-off, and some of them were more poor. One of them, Matthew, would be considered by the others as a traitor to the Jewish people and should be taken out and hung, or worse. Then you had Simon the Zealot who would have taken Matthew out and hung him because he was a, almost a terrorist. He was a zealot. He was passionate about his cause of freedom for Israel. These were guys who would not sit together at the dinner table if it were not for Jesus Christ. They argued with each other. They bickered. They complained. And Jesus had them walking with him 24-7 listening to the same message, kind of like a church, which is not supposed to be a homogeneous group filled with people who all see the same thing and do the same thing and come from the same race or the same family or the same educational or economic background. It's just like a church congregation filled with people who are different. And Jesus says, come and follow me. Receive my life and forgiveness. Now, give each other life and forgiveness like I've given it to you. And we struggle with that, do we not? In our marriages and in our church, in our homes. So Peter was not asking a theological question. He was asking a very real, rubber meets the road, this is where I'm living right now, Jesus. 
please tell me how many times do I have to forgive the same person for sinning against me? Please, please don't tell me it's more than seven. Now, why did Peter say seven? Because the Pharisees at this time in Jewish history were teaching the Israelites that God was holding them accountable to forgive the same person for the same sin four times. So Jewish teaching at this day when Jesus is walking around, the Jewish people were hearing if someone sins, if Bob sins against you once, you got to forgive him. If he sins against you twice, God wants you to forgive him. If he sins against you three times, God says forgive him. If he sins against you four times, thus saith the Lord, you have to forgive him. But if Bob sins against you a fifth time, well, we can finish that, can't we? Then what can you do? You can let him have it. You can do what you want. You can get even. You can be angry. You can cut off the relationship. You can do, and now catch this, and in doing it, you will be still a righteous Jew in good standing with God. The Pharisees were teaching four times. Peter had heard Jesus say in the Sermon on the Mount, unless your righteousness, what? surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will not enter. And enter means experience the kingdom of heaven. He did not mean go to heaven. He meant you will not experience the fullness of God's life in you unless your righteousness, the way you think and live, goes beyond the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. So Peter heard that. He knew four wasn't going to be enough. He was guessing five wasn't going to be enough. He was going to put a little buffer in there and maybe six. Well, you know, if the Pharisees, these are the Bible teachers of his day. If they're saying four, Jesus says more. Five, six, hey, let's round it up to that nice Jewish number of seven. Lord, how many times do I have to forgive the person who sins against me, please don't tell me it's more than seven. I know it's going to be more than four. And I can hear Jesus with a big sigh saying, by the nature of your question, I can tell you still don't understand why you need to forgive. You don't understand, Peter, the prison that you are in and how you got there. And you don't understand that forgiving that person is the key that will set you free. And I'm going to die to purchase the key for you. In fact, my father is going to use the key first and he's going to free you. He's going to forgive you and free you and set you free. And that is the good news of Jesus Christ. Amen. That God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, not primarily as a teacher, but as a payment for the penalty of sin so that God could look at you and me and say, I don't have to punish you. I already punished someone else in your place. And because justice has been satisfied once for all at the cross of Jesus Christ, God says, you don't have to be afraid of me. Come close. I've loved you all along. I've never wanted to execute you. And let me heal you. 
Let me change you. Let me fix what sin has broken in your life, your own sin and the sins of other people. Let me, let me make you like my son Jesus, which is what our scripture would have been today. Romans 8.29 says, For whom he foreknew, God also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son Jesus, so that those who believe in Jesus would be transformed into his likeness, so that Jesus would become the firstborn among a big family of brothers and sisters who all look like Jesus. Wow. And God uses the key of forgiveness at the cross, and he forgives us. And then he says, now I want you to forgive others in the same way that I've forgiven you, because now you have the key, but you have to choose to use it. And if you don't use it, well, let's see what Peter, or Jesus says. How many times do I have to forgive my brother? Up to seven times? You know what Jesus said first. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven, which is 490. But Jesus did not mean that you keep track and count. And if Bob sins against you 489 times, you forgive him. And it's 490 times you forgive him. And on the 491st time... Now you can let him have it. He did not mean that. Because then he told this story about this money manager who was entrusted with a huge sum of money by a very rich king. And the time came to bring the money back with interest. And he had a poor... It was the, the, um, the uh, real estate bubble had popped. The dot-com dot bubble had popped. Uh, all the other economic bubbles had popped and he could not pay back this incredible debt and, it, and the king out of compassion, now listen carefully, said to the man, I forgive you, I release you from the debt. Now, what's not in the story but what has to be implied there and then he turned to his accountant and said, change the books. What this man once owed me, he doesn't owe me anymore which means I'm now this much poorer because I've just given this away. I don't have the money he should have given me. That's a big part of forgiveness that we'll be talking about in the seminar. Forgiveness doesn't just happen because God loves us. If God could forgive us just because he loves us, listen carefully, then Jesus didn't have to die. And if God can't forgive people without the cross of Jesus Christ, guess how much chance you and I have of forgiving people without the cross of Jesus Christ? Zero. And so Jesus tells the story about a man who owed a lot of money, was forgiven a great debt. He was also owed a lot of money. Nowhere as much as he owed, but he owed 100 workday wages. That's more than two-thirds of a year of work. That's a lot of money. I don't know about you, but I can't live without two, uh, 100 days of pay. That's a lot of money. Jesus is not saying you forgive people because what they did to you is insignificant. What people do to you is significant. It's so significant Jesus had to die for it. That makes it a big deal. But this man who was forgiven did not forgive someone else. This is a part of the story. It's in here. I'm just paraphrasing it for you to save time. And then Jesus says that the king who did the forgiving heard that the man he forgave did not forgive someone else. And he called him back and said, man. Verse 32, then summoning him, his Lord said to him, you wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not also have had mercy on your fellow slave in the same way that I had mercy on you? And the king moved with anger, now listen, 
Because this is not a pretty picture. A lot of Christians don't know what to do with this. The king moved with anger, handed him over to torturers. Torturers. What's the job of a torturer? It's to torture, but you can't use the word torture, you know, when you define. What's the job of a torturer? You you're a torturer. Okay, I had a torture today. What's your, what, what is the, how do you know when you've tortured someone? What's the sign or symptom? Pain. Torture's job is simply to cause pain. And where do torturers work? Because they don't make house calls. You don't go down to CVS Pharmacy to visit your torturer. You don't make an appointment for the torturer to come to your house. Because if you did, you wouldn't be there when they showed up. Where does the torturer work? In a prison, in a dungeon, which means not only was this guy handed over to torturers, he was also in a prison. And the purpose of a prison is to limit the prisoner's freedom. Jesus is saying, Peter, how many, in answer to your questions, how many times do you have to forgive? Well, when you don't forgive, you're going to find yourself in a prison in pain. Your freedom's going to be limited and you're going to be in pain. And here's the real sad part of it, Peter, is you have the key to walk out anytime you want to. Did you hear that? I was in a prison with my growing anger against my wife, Becky. My freedom was limited. My happiness was limited. My peace was limited. My ministry was limited. My parenting was limited. My physical health, I'm sure, was compromised and limited. My relationship with my wife was limited. My relationship with other people was limited, all because I did not know at that time, I didn't even really understand what the key was, let alone how to use it. And like I said, for two years, I tried to forgive. Now, if you're confused about forgiveness and you've tried, I have great empathy for you because I've been there. And I think I know why we're all confused. Because even though the Bible is really clear about what forgiveness is, Christian writing is not. I have 60 Christian books. Christian books. How many? How many? 60, not 16. 60. 60 Christian books on how to forgive. By authors, if I name them, you're listening to them on the radio. They are mega church pastors. They are... Christian counselors on the radio, I, and, and a lot of them you wouldn't know, but a lot of them you would. 60 Christian books on how to forgive. I have found and documented 31 different ways to forgive. That should make us, our jaws drop open. Because even if you don't know Everything in this book. How many ways to forgive do you think are in this book? Probably just one. 
I'm not exaggerating. This isn't a game. The church of Jesus Christ today is in real terrible jeopardy. I mean the church at large. I was shocked when I was over 15. I, when I got to 20, I thought there can't be more than 20. I thought I was done at 27. Then there was 28. I just two couple weeks ago found 30, the 31st one. I thought, how are we coming up with so many counterfeits? Oh, because this is spiritual warfare and Satan doesn't want any of God's people forgiving. Why? Because Satan wants all of God's people in a prison handed over to torturers. So if he can keep a Christian from forgiving, we're doomed. Oh, we're still saved. We'll still go to heaven. But our freedom is limited here, and we are in a great deal of pain. Brothers and sisters, you do not have to be in a prison, and you do not have to be in pain. God can set you free if you use the key, and the key is forgiveness. Lord Jesus, how many times do we have to forgive the people who sin against us? Jesus' answer is simply this. If you want my Father to heal you, if you want him to set you free in ways you can't even yet imagine, you forgive every single time. And which people? Every single person. That's the key to life. It is the key that we receive from Jesus Christ and the key that we offer to other people. It's the way God restores broken souls and it's the way God restores broken relationships. And if you're a Christian, you actually own the key. In the seminar, we're going to define the key, examine the key, and I'll show you how to better use it. I'm sure you've used it to some extent already, but I'll show you how to better use it. And as you use it, man, I'm so excited to come back. I really am, because as you use this key, it is a gift from God. It will change your life, and it will change your relationships. And there is no substitute for it. And Jesus says, and I close my Bible, but I can quote the verse. Jesus said, after he was handed over to torturers, Jesus said, so shall my heavenly Father do to you if you do not forgive from your heart the people who sin against you. So that's what we'll be working on in the seminar. How to forgive from the heart so Jesus can set us free and heal us and experience more of that abundant life that he said he came to give us. Wouldn't that be exciting? Wouldn't that be exciting? Amen? Do you know how to grow this church? Learn to practice forgiveness and use the key well. And then just look for people in the community, people in your family, people at your workplace, people in your gym who are hurting and in bondage and say, hey, would you like to be free? Would you like to be healed? Find out how many people say, yeah, what do you got in mind? And you tell them your testimony of your bondage, your prison and how you were able to forgive people through Jesus Christ and how it changed your life. And watch how this church becomes a magnet to bring hurting people who Jesus then heals and brings into his kingdom. Wouldn't that be great? Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the gift of forgiveness. I, I can say myself, Lord, I don't even yet fully understand it. It's so big, so powerful, so far-reaching, so... 
so beyond what we would have made up, what human beings could have dreamed up. Thank you, thank you, thank you for the gift of forgiveness. And not only that you have forgiven us, but that you've made it possible for us to forgive other people and for us to ask other people to forgive us so that you can heal us, you can heal them, you can heal the relationship, you can, you can restore us to health and to life. Lord, and not just individuals, but families and marriages and whole churches and whole communities, even to the ends of the world. Lord, Lord, may your grace and blessing fall upon this church and this group of people. May they become a community of forgiveness, a lighthouse of forgiveness in this world. May they, may they embrace all the fullness of the gift that you have purchased for them and offered to them. And may they then share it with everyone you give them opportunity to do so with. And we thank you for this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. 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 See you in a couple weeks. Thank you.